This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me on this next episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited to be talking to Maureen Healy today, author of The Emotionally Healthy Child. Maureen, will you just take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, Nice to meet everyone over technology. It's terrific we can do this. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. My background is child. For, actually, first I started in business and then I realized that working with CEOs that sometimes they act like children and I went back, I actually went back to study children. So that's where I found what I love. So that's I have funny. a background, yeah, so I have a background in child development. I've worked with kids all over the world. I've studied with um, teachers in the U.S. and Asia. I have a BA, MBA, did my doctoral work in clinical child psychology and what can I say? Oh, I have a website, Growing Happy Kids and HighlySensitiveKids.com. And my books are Growing Happy Kids, The Energetic Keys to Indigo Kids. And now the one we're talking about today, The Emotionally Healthy Child. Fantastic. Yeah. And you and I were talking a minute before we started about the fact that emotions can be a big struggle for kids with ADHD and maybe high-functioning autism as well. Um, so I think this conversation is going to be super helpful to the parents who are listening, um, where should we start? Why don't we start with kind of your definition of what an emotionally healthy child looks like? Sure. It's a complex, sophisticated topic, as we all know. But the best way for me to describe the beginning, the start of emotional health, is really being able to name emotions, to identify them in your body, and to express them constructively. So instead Mm -hmm. of you know, constantly screaming, you're, you're taking a moment and you're, you know, you're hitting a punching bag or you're learning how to walk away on the playground versus just push someone. So that's the start of positive emotional health. And then sort of, it's like an onion. There's more layers, right? You know, one week you're learning enthusiasm, the next week you're learning forgiveness, you know, so it's a lot of different things, but there is a mindset, an emotionally healthy mindset. And if we talk about the idea of emotional health, it's really the skill of balance. So it's normal living on the planet, whether we're small or big, but particular, if you feel very different than others, you get off balance and learning how to come back to center or come back to balance is really the process of cultivating positive emotional health. Yeah. And I like the idea of balance. I don't know that I've ever come across that idea in relation to um, emotions. And so when I read that in your book, I was really... um, kind of surprised by it because I hadn't seen it before, but also it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's kind of a concept that kids can grasp more of a visual um, concept for how they're feeling. Um, Do you want to talk about maybe you have in your book, the seven ideas that children need to learn as far as emotional mastery? I thought that might be good to discuss a little bit. Um, The first was that emotions are temporary. 
Yeah. Yeah. So at least seven ideas that when you know them, handling your emotions is a lot easier. And we're talking about the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. Mm -hmm. But I'll give you an example of one of the ideas and how it plays out in life. So when I work with children and I work with parents and kids all over, you know, um, you know, if a child has anger, right, and say they were very reactive, they just kicked the door or screamed or whatever it was, right. I'll say to them afterwards, because obviously in the moment, it's like jumping out of an airplane, you have to wait till you get to the bottom and start again. Right. But, but, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, in that moment when you were really, really angry, did the anger feel bigger than you? Or did you feel bigger than, than the anger? And they're like, oh, the anger was bigger than me. I'm like, okay, I get it. I said, but did you know that you're actually bigger than anger? And they look at me with this blank face like, are you kidding me? Are you sure? <laughs> and I say, yes, I'm sure. So that's just one idea that, you know, we're bigger than our emotions and that we can, we can actually send them on their way in a way that feels better for us. So children don't really understand their role in regards to their emotions. They feel like right. a, a boat on the ocean just being you know, thrown around by the waves, they don't realize that they have the oars, they can move the sails, that they can actually take control and steer it any way they want. So helping kids learn these oftentimes simple ideas to adults really isn't simple to them. They don't even recognize that they actually have more control. So of course, it's the ideas and then you want to give them tools so that they express these emotions constructively. So for that child, you know, I said, can you walk away from the kid that said not so nice things to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah, right. I can walk away. So there's something called the smart choices checklist in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. So ultimately, we want to help kids learn how to identify what are those smart choices, good for me and good for others. And how do I, how do I make those? Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about how we can help our kids to be able to take that moment and breathe and make a choice instead of kind of being driven in that reactionary mode. Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, whether you're a child or an adult, we all get caught in these moments where we are not paying attention or we just let our feelings or emotions or thoughts out. And by the time we they're out, we, it's like a toothpaste, right? You can't put them back in the toothpaste, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, helping our children learn how to really, the whole concept comes down to slowing down. How do you slow down? And in that moment, learn to catch yourself. Yeah. So, so in the book, I have an idea that, you know, one stop, second is calm, and three is make a smart choice. So we really all begin on that stop. How do we, how do we catch ourselves? And that's, that's, that takes some self-awareness. It takes some practice, and it takes you know, we won't get it right all the time, nor will our children, but if they're willing to try and they're willing to learn how to stop themselves, they can do that. And oftentimes it requires us pre-paving the path, meaning let's have that conversation. Like if you're on the playground and someone says that, what could you do? What are the things you can do? So helping them identify so that when that moment comes, they're not blank in their mind. They go, I can walk away. I can go to the bathroom. I can splash water on my face. I can tell a teacher, you know, they have ideas. Yeah. And, and of course, like you mentioned earlier, if they can learn how to calm themselves, whether it's breathing tools, whether it's taking a walk around the track, whatever it is for them that they're allowed to do at their age and grade in school would be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about kids with impulsivity? It seems to create this extra layer of difficulty in teaching them to be able to stop and think for a moment or take a 
take a breath to really um, kind of look at the situation. Right. And I mean, that's like half the planet. I mean, that's how most of us begin is very impulsive because that's your right brain is impulsivity and your left brain is more logic. That's the one that helps you slow down. Mm -hmm. So we want to get both brain, you both sides of the brain working together. But if you're very right brain and you're very reactive or very impulsive, or you have that tendency, so to speak, it's, it's like anything, it's really practice. And it's, you know, it's being kind to the child too, being like, okay, you went down that path. How do we get back to center? Like it's just constantly yeah. course correcting in positive and constructive ways where they don't feel guilt, where they don't feel shame, where they're not punished for just being a kid, you know? Right. Yeah. And they, and they need to learn, okay, this is a skill I need to develop. If a child's not quote unquote behaving well, it just means they don't yet have the skills to handle those big emotions. doesn't yes. mean that they can't learn them. It's just, they don't have them yet. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's how you have to teach them. And that's why, from my perspective, social emotional learning or mindfulness is so important in the classroom, because if we don't get the emotions correct, we can't get to academics, whether you're in kindergarten or fourth grade or whatever grade it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I I know, too, you, um, you talk about how all emotions are acceptable or okay, that it's okay to be angry. Um, and I think that's a really good point that we don't think about often as parents and um, teaching our kids. And I know that, you know, our culture has kind of steered boys um, further away from being emotional. And I think that, you know, that's a good starting point for these conversations and this work on our kids and their emotions is to make sure that they know that all of the emotions are normal and they're okay. And it's just, I I guess, how you manage them, how you react to them, what you do with them. Yeah. And I think that it's really important for us as adults to recognize, you know, not just intellectually, like all emotions are good, but do our best not to get embarrassed. You know, kids are kids. I know it's embarrassing when someone's screaming at the top of their lungs in the supermarket, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the, the best we can do to put into practice, like, okay, this time, this will pass. This is, you know, what, what does this child need from me in this moment? And to remember that, you know, having big emotions, it's natural, like you said, and it's what we do with them that matters. And, you know, not, not, you know, doing our best to role model that, you know, I have all these different emotions and in age appropriate ways, you say, listen, I might need a few minutes and, take some deep breaths. I'm a little frustrated. I'll come back and talk to you in a minute. Like helping them recognize having, there's nothing wrong with having all the different emotions, even if it's anger, frustration, sadness, nervousness, whatever it is, but it's really what you do with it. Yeah. And then we're teaching them, you know, what those acceptable ways are. And I love that you said that we should create these plans with our kids ahead of time so they know what the more appropriate way to show their anger or, um, you know, sadness or whatever it might be. Um, when it comes down to that moment, they're better prepared. I think they're able to make better choices in that respect that way. Yeah. And I think it's so important because, you know, it doesn't make it good or bad. It's just like you said, emotions just are. So how do we deal with them? So kids don't know because they're just young and new to the world. They don't realize in that moment, I have choice. And that's where most, I don't want to say failures, but where things usually go off the rails. You know what I mean? They didn't realize they had another choice. So when they realize there are better choices, 
they want to feel good too. They want to make them, you know? Yeah. I mean, kids want to do well. They all want to do well. And as you said early on, which is something we talk about all the time in the ADHD community is that if, you know, if they're not doing well, then they don't have the skills or the ability in that moment. Um, And that's really key, I think, for parents of kids with ADHD is that we're trying to meet them where they are and also build those skills going forward, you know, to help them to improve or um, to develop in these areas. Um, you talked about in the book again, inside of you at the center is joy and that that's our natural state. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Um Because I think, you know, in in our community of kids with ADHD and autism, our kids get this message, not necessarily blatantly, but they walk through life challenged and struggling and they get this message that um, they're kind of bad or broken a lot of times. And so we work hard as parents to kind of counterbalance that. And, you know, a lot of times they really internalize um, that they're always angry or they're never able to make good choices or whatever it might be. And so this idea that every single one of our kids and all of us have joy inside and that's our natural state and we just have to figure out how to, you know, bring it out as much as we can, I think is a really good concept for kids who kind of have that extra internal struggle. Yeah. And I think it's something that we forget, um, like you said, because uh, sometimes on the superficial or the appearance of something doesn't look very joyful, you know? Right. So so we do have to remember that inside of us, there is this place that's perfect, whole and complete. And that is pure positive energy that can't be touched by this world. So how do we help each child access that place? And it's different for every child because we're all patterned for our purpose. So one child that might be doing puzzles, another child is a train set, another child is reading scientific books. But how do we help them find their quote unquote thing? Because I do mm-hmm. believe that when a child finds his or her thing, what they're really good at, regardless of whatever struggles they have, it finds a, it's a way for them to find a way in the world. Like with Michael yeah. Phelps, despite his challenges, you mm-hmm. know, he had massive hyperactivity and his parents put him in the, in, in the swimming lanes when he was seven or eight just to get him to do something. Right. And that was certainly a channel for his energy. So we do want to find that place. And, you know, sometimes it's easy. We find it on the first try. Sometimes it's hard. We keep trying different things, but sort of don't lose hope. You know, there is somewhere that this child will shine and it's finding that spot where they can bring out their joy, their enthusiasm, their their pure goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and can we talk a minute, I guess, about how to teach our kids? You have this idea that they can learn how to increase certain emotions, the helpful ones, and then reduce other more challenging emotions with practice. What are some examples of how we can help our kids to kind of take the reins of their emotions and start to be able to do that? Right. Well, I'll give the example of anger just because it's something that, you know, when you're young, you do get frustrated quite often. And and I brought it up earlier. So anger is a fast emotion. We all know that, you know, one minute you're fine and one minute you're not, you know, it comes into the room really quickly versus gratitude, which is slow. It's something you have to cultivate. You have to every day wake up. I'm thankful. I'm appreciative for the sky. You know, you have to really Mm -hmm. cultivate feeling grateful. 
So one idea with anger is, you know, it comes into the room, but it's temporary. It's going to leave too. So you don't want to hook onto it. One of children's misperceptions is whatever they're feeling is forever. It's, yes. it's not, it's not temporary. It's going to, I'm going to be sad or angry forever. So mm-hmm. helping them create some distance from the emotion. You're not your emotion. You're just experiencing that emotion. It's going to come and go so that they aren't fooled by it. So they start to look at emotions more skillfully, more accurately, and then they can, you know, learn how to center themselves, bring themselves back to calm and that center that we talked about that is calmer. So that's, that's just the beginning point of how to help children learn how to come back to who they really are and not get caught in their temporary emotions. And I'm not saying it's easy for any of us. Yeah. I mean, I, for sure. I certainly don't, I don't want to be in traffic and I live in California. So that's where I do a lot of my deep breaths. I go, Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but it's a practice. That's what living on the planet is about. How can we evolve? How can we grow? You know, I love that you said that they can come back to who they're supposed to be or who they are Mm -hmm. that, you know, get just giving them that concept that, you know, there's this joyful, good person inside and that's who they really are and sometimes they struggle on the surface with big emotions or other things but really you know always trying to come back to who we know and recognize that they are that's really powerful for kids with extra struggles and challenges yeah and all of us you know we all need and especially to kids who are having certain difficulties but we all need people to help remind us of who we are we just forget it's just sort of natural we have these two eyes looking out into the world and the more we can learn how to validate ourselves versus always wanting to be perfect or get good grades or be normal or whatever weird thing we have in our mind you know we 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 do better we we go from surviving to thriving right And do you see positive parenting kind of correlating with raising emotionally healthy kids? So tell me what you mean by positive parenting so I can give a good answer. So more of recognizing and rewarding strengths and being on task and that sort of thing and less what I call what traditional parenting here is, I call it crime and punishment, but it's you broke that rule, here's your punishment. Um, I see, you know, the more positive parenting role as being very much different from that so that there's natural consequences, but there's also a lot of um, teaching in those different moments and really trying to, as much as possible, um, stay more focused on the positive. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, it's, and I call you know, that traditional parenting, more authoritarian. So that sort of like my way or the highway kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then today's parenting for people who are more high conscious and who have really decided what did my parents do right and what did they could have done better and I'm not going to do that, you know, who really have reviewed how do I want to parent in the world. Um, I consider that more partnership. You know, you're partnering with your child. Yes. How, how can I help him or her succeed? I'm not, par- I'm not just raising a child the way I was raised. You have a whole different being in front of you with a unique set of circumstances. What is it that this one needs right here now? And I think that yes. focusing on the constructive and the positive and, the, and, and as much as you can, you know, helping them learn how to be self-reliant and learning how to be independent, you know, not and yeah. learning how to make healthy friendships. I think those are all skills that to learn that feed into positive emotional health. 
because you need to be connected. So you need to feel like you're good at something in the world. You need to feel like, you know, that tomorrow is going to be a better day, you know? So right. the, the more you can have that emotionally healthy mindset, which is from my perspective, flexible versus rigid. You know, if you have that rigid mindset, which is like, you said we were going to do this and we're not doing this. And, rah, 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 rah. and right. that happens to all of us. We all feel that way. But learning the skill of not only balance, but flexibility is helpful towards a positive emotional health. And every child has a different personality. But the more we can sort of ease them into learning that flexibility, because we know as adults, things don't always go as we want them to go. It's just not sure. the way the world works. Yeah. But, so when they can learn to be okay with, oh, I thought we were having this teacher and now we have that teacher. And it takes practice. It's not easy, but that's part of becoming emotionally healthier. Yeah. And I think this probably is building some problem solving skills too. You know, the more we talk about emotions and flexibility and being open-minded and, and having some control over situations yourself, you know, all of that is part of problem solving. And it seems to me that you know, it's creating little people and later adults who are a little better at stepping back and saying, okay, this isn't how I planned for this to go. So what can I do now? Yeah. It's like we said earlier with emotions, having the emotions isn't, it's all, it's all well and good. It's what we do with them. So it's also like things in life. It's not exactly what happens. It's how we respond to it. So that in every moment we're setting up the next best moment. Yeah. And staying in that mindset means that we're going to have more of those good moments. You know, the more positive we are, the more things will go better or we'll see them as going better. Right. Um, That's right. So as we stay constructive, you know, some days certainly are lemons. It is what it is. But other days we have lemons and we're like, oh, I can make lemonade, you know? So it's trying Mm -hmm. our best to make the best. Yeah, and really, and and the other piece of this is modeling for our kids. You know, we we get so caught up, we get frustrated, we often find ourselves being very reactionary instead of responding in a better way, um, and that's a lot of what we work on in in parenting kids with um, behavior disorders. And so, you know, that really ties in. Yeah. And I think, you know, just because the nature of life, at least in my community, people are always rushing. They're rushing to pick Mm -hmm. up the kids. They're rushing to go here. They're rushing. So the less we can feel rushed and we can sort of stay present in the moment and calm. I mean, of course, it's not easy, but it's a practice that more our children can learn that. So we want to teach them how to come back to that calm center, but we have to do our best. And we don't always do it perfectly. And that's okay. We can repair the relationship and say, I'm sorry. I apologize. I could have done that better. That's okay. Exactly. But we need to help do that to the best of our ability. Yeah. And I, you know, our kids are really um, sponges, you know, it's that, do as I do, you know, we have the saying, do as I say and not as I do, but that's really not the best parenting approach. We really do have to show them how we expect them um, to behave or react in certain situations. You know, if my, if my son is super angry and he's having a hard time with big emotions and then I act in kind and I'm angry and I'm raising my voice too, what am I teaching him? I'm not teaching him how to manage his emotions well or how to step back and calm. I'm teaching him that that anger is what we do. And, and we don't have to be perfect, but we have to do our best for sure. Exactly. And, and I think that, um, 
you know, what I experience and what I see people is children don't, they just remember who we are. They don't remember the words. The words are like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but they remember who we are, how they, how they feel in our presence. So do they feel celebrated and seen and nurtured and supported, you know, or do they feel like, yikes, I can't go to mom or dad. They're angry. You know what I mean? So exactly. Yeah. They, they, they just feel so deeply. Yeah. And you're opening that dialogue with, you know, when, when you're, I did an episode recently on, trying to figure out how to say yes more often to our kids. And that's one of the reasons why is because if you say no all the time, they're going to stop coming to you. They're going to stop talking to you. They might stop asking permission for things. You know, you're definitely coasting down the wrong path in that regard. And so the more open we can be um, and, and even open with our kids making mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all make mistakes. And, right. and, we, and we've all made a mistake we don't want, like, on the big board at the baseball stadium. We've all made big mistakes. It's just the nature of life. So helping a child with little mistakes or medium mistakes, you know, as long as they're, you know, learning from something. I, I always think that nothing's a failure as long as we learn from it, you know? Yeah, for sure. You also talked about um, the concept of kids running hot or cold. Do you think that that's um, kind of a way, especially for younger kids, to be able to start labeling how they're feeling before they really understand um, more of the emotions? You know, some of our kids with ADHD and autism, too, struggle with that um, emotional awareness and then emotional communication. So is it helpful to start in a more generalized place like that, like saying, I'm feeling hot or I'm running hot or I'm feeling cold or running cold? Yeah. I mean, I think that anything that symbolizes something. So in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, I have lots of strategies like a volcano for running hot, which is anger, or I have an iceberg strategy, a tool to use for a child who's running cold and how to deal with that. So it's full of different strategies and ideas. And I think that oftentimes adults just need a starting point, but the yeah. young child who can you know, you can have a language, you're building the emotional language. So if sadness is cold to you or anger is hot to you, like having that language where, you know, it's sort of a code, like, mom, I'm feeling a little, I'm feeling cold today. You know, it opens yeah. the dialogue. It allows you to open the door and say, hey, what happened at school or what was going on? And, you know, you make it natural. And oftentimes, even before bed, people will do that rose and thorn exercise. Rose, what was the best part? Or thorn, what was the challenging part of the day? So then you can have that dialogue and say, okay, well, let's, you know, we'll start again tomorrow. And, you know, if you don't ask sometimes, they don't always give it up. So helping them feel comfortable with keeping that open communication, especially with their emotions, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. not as, I'm not as worried about some kids just don't like to talk about it, but as long as they don't internalize it and hold it all in and they have constructive outlets, whether it's playing basketball or jumping on a trampoline as long as they get these feelings out, I'm okay with it. But it's the kids who hold it in and have anxiety and depression. Those are the ones that I get more worried about. Right. And so what can parents do if their kid is the one that holds it in and keeps it to themselves? How do they um, get them to start expressing, whether it's talking to them or doing something else? Yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. So what we're talking about is kids who, you know, the kids who externalize, throw things. I mean, that's not always ideal but it's healthy they're getting right. their feelings out right um, but the kids who hold it in that's like we said 
So the way that I would think about that is that that's their personality. They have a tendency to kind of withdraw and hold it in and get sadder. So from my perspective, it's like, okay, well, they just need some outlets. So how can I put outlets and people in their life that they can feel comfortable talking to? Like they need at least three people, whether it's a dog they can pet, whether it's a friend they can call, whether it's grandma, they need someone to connect with. But do they write in their journal? They may not want to talk to someone, but they may write in their journal or they may do a sport or something, but they just need ways to release it. It could be painting. It could be artwork. It could be music. It could be dance. But yeah. helping helping them not hold it all in because none of us can hold all of our emotions in and feel good. It's like holding. Think of it this way. Like say you were outside in the pool and it was summertime and you were holding a ball under the water. You know, after 40 minutes, your arm's going to get tired and it's just going to pop up. So right. That's what happens with our emotions. If we hold them all in, sometimes they're just going to explode and come out sideways. So we want to help kids experience the feelings when they have them and find constructive ways to let them out or release yeah. them. Yeah. And I like that it's so many different things. It doesn't have to be talking it out. It can just be something they enjoy that is a release for them. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it that way in the past. Yeah, and we want to think about it this way. Although we're helping them with their emotions today, we're really helping them build habits for their life. How do I let these feelings out? Because fast forward 20 years when they're married and they're having a marital dispute, you want them to be able to, you know, release it versus saying, ah, you want them to say, listen, I need to go for a jog. I'll be right back. <laughs> yep, yep. And that's, that's what parenting is. We're preparing future adults. Totally. For the world, yeah. Um, I was going to say, my my son doesn't like to be questioned. It's kind of a trigger for him. Um, and so I have learned to say things like, tell me more about it. So, you know, sometimes he's perfectly happy to talk about his emotions and what's going on, um, as long as I don't ask it in question form, which is kind of crazy. But, you know, I found that that works. And I, and I know a lot of kids with... ADHD don't like to be questioned. So that's a really good way to kind of sidestep that for kids who do want to talk, but kind of shut down if they're, if they feel like they're being kind of needled, I guess, is why he feels that way about being questioned. And I've always found that to be true. Um, kids usually want to go at something. You want to, you don't want to go at it directly. So like, even if you want to know why are you sad today, I would do something else that allowed them the space to open up. Because it is some, it's almost intimidating or there's something about an adult asking you like, why are you sad? To, you know what I mean? That mm -hmm. makes you like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what second grade's like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, but if you give them the space and the opportunity to share and, and they are comfortable, whether it's playing a game, could be playing a game, it could be doing anything, then they'll realize, you know, hey, I, I, things didn't work out today or whatever it is they'll say. So that's really good. And I love to tell me more. I do that to kids a lot of times too. Tell me more because they do want to tell you more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they want to share. I think, mm -hmm. you know, when we're questioning, it just feels kind of invasive, maybe. Right. Um, you know, I'm the parent, he gets in the car and I'm like, how was your day? How was this class? How was that class? And, and he just, mom, I don't want to talk about it. Um, and I just learned over time that if I go about it a different way, he's happy to talk to me about stuff. So right. good That's tip great. for those kids who don't like to be questioned. Um and, you know, playing games and doing things like that, that's essentially a lot of what play therapists do. And they get kids mm -hmm. to open up in that way, too. So parents can certainly do that as well. 
Mm-hmm. We are running toward the end of our time. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to share with our audience today? Yeah, no, I would just say that emotional health is a skill to learn. Um, oftentimes parents ask me like, oh my God, is it too late? And it's never too mm-hmm. late. So I just emphasize that it's a skill that we can learn and deepen for ourselves and also to teach our children. Yeah, I love that it's not too late. It's never never too late to learn new things and, and better ourselves. I mean, I think we're bettering ourselves our whole lives, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. It has been very enlightening. I know that the parents out there are going to really have some great insights and tools. And I encourage everybody to pick up Maureen's book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. Um, in the show notes, we will have a link to her website and books and um, anything else that we've mentioned here. And those show notes will be found at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 050 for episode 50. So thanks again, Maureen. I really appreciate you sharing your time and your wisdom with everyone. Thank you for having me. It's a delight. And I will see everybody on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.